Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Amy Morris. Here are the stories we're following today. Amy, we begin with breaking developments in the war in the Middle East. The U.S. has now conducted military strikes, and we get more from Bloomberg's Rosalind Matheson. The U.S. has struck two targets, they say, uh, inside Syria. Uh, They say they were aiming at Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard and basically a a warning again to some of these proxy groups that are operating in the region, potentially on behalf of Iran, uh, because what we've seen is an escalation in the pattern of attacks or targeting of U.S. uh, military assets in the region. Bloomberg's Rosalind Matheson says Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is characterizing the U.S. strikes as separate and distinct from the Israel-Hamas war. And Nathan, the strikes come as Iran's foreign minister warned the U.S. won't be spared if the war between Israel and Hamas spreads. Foreign Minister Hossein Amir Abdullahian delivered the threat in a speech to the United Nations General Assembly. We do not welcome to expansion of the war in the region, but I warn If the genocide in Gaza continues, they will not be spared from this fire. The comments by Iran's foreign minister comes as Israel says it sent troops on a limited raid into Gaza for the second straight night. Now, Amy, to the latest on the deadly mass shooting in Maine. An intense search continues for Robert Card, the 40-year-old Army reservist accused of killing 18 people inside a bowling alley and bar in the city of Lewiston. The city's mayor, Carl Shaleen, is telling people to stay off the streets. This is a time for action, solidarity, and support. Please take note, the shelter-in-place order issued by the Lewiston Police Department remains in effect. Please stay at home and be safe. Lewiston Mayor Carl Shaleen says much of the focus has been on one of Card's relatives' homes in the rural town of Bowdoin. FBI and other agents surrounded the property, ordering anyone inside to surrender. After several hours, though, state police said it was not clear if anyone had been there. The newly anointed Speaker of the House is commenting about the date latest deadly shooting. Mike Johnson does not think it's a gun problem. At the end of the day, it's the problem is the human heart. It's not guns, it's not the weapons. At the end of the day, we have to protect the the right of the citizens to protect themselves, and that's the Second Amendment. And that's why our party stands so strongly for that. Speaker Johnson made the comments in an interview with Fox's Sean Hannity and said that now is not the time for new gun laws. Meanwhile, Amy, the House passed its first major piece of legislation since Johnson became Speaker, and it flies in the face of President Biden's emphasis on energy efficiency. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. It cuts into the Inflation Reduction Act, which incentivized homeowners to switch to more energy-efficient appliances and into money that helps states craft more stringent building energy codes. The effect of this would strip billions of dollars put aside for consumer rebates. Speaker Mike Johnson in the past has criticized the spending on climate and clean energy measures as green energy slush funds. 
it's not expected to pass the Senate or get a Biden signature. Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. Thank you, Ed. Now, an update on the trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. The FTX founder spent almost three hours trying to convince a judge to allow him to testify to a jury about the role lawyers played in the collapse of the crypto exchange. Bloomberg's Bob Van Voris is covering the case in Lower Manhattan. He spent the entire afternoon on the stand, but he was previewing testimony that he wants to give relating to advice that he got from lawyers. So Judge Kaplan is listened to the testimony. He's going to rule in the morning what the jury gets to hear. They got sent home after lunch. Bloomberg's Bob Van Voris says Bankman Freed's team is trying to show many of the transactions are the subject of criminal charges conducted in the full view of lawyers. Turning to markets, Amy Watch and shares of Amazon. They are higher by more than 5% in early trading. The company gave investors a lot of what they wanted this earnings season, robust sales and profit growth, along with a hint that the cloud division earnings machine is regaining momentum. Matthew Bloxham is a tech analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. They are the leader in cloud, so there's a huge number of corporates who already use them for cloud, and those corporates are all scrambling. Uh, to get into the generative AI space. So they're kind of looking to train models and use them in applications. Bloomberg Intelligence's Matt Bloxham says cloud unit sales increased 12% to more than $23 billion. Shares of Intel also on the move up nearly 8%. The chip maker is predicting a return to sales growth in the fourth quarter. Intel says it's being fueled by an improving personal computer market and a more competitive product line. Turning to the economy, Amy Janet Yellen says the surge in Treasury yields is tied to the strength of the economy rather than the widening fiscal deficit. We spoke with the Treasury Secretary in Washington. We're seeing yields go up um, in most advanced countries. Part of the increase in yields, uh, I think, is simply a reflection of the strength of the economy, the notion that interest rates will be higher for longer. Secretary Yellen says the trends that had produced low levels for yields before the pandemic are still there. For the full conversation, head to our Bloomberg Talks podcast feed. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. And right now we find the 10-year Treasury yield at 4.86%. The two-year is at 5.04%. And futures are surging this morning. This is Bloomberg. Time now to take a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world. For that, I'm joined by Bloomberg's Michael Barr. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. Representative George Santos is scheduled to be arraigned this morning on more federal charges filed earlier this month. According to prosecutors, Santos allegedly stole identities and made purchases on the credit cards of his donors. Meanwhile, there is a push from New York Republicans to expel Santos from Congress. Representative Anthony D'Esposito says Santos is not fit to serve his constituents as a United States representative. People have seen over the last 10 months uh, what a fraud he is. I mean, you know, you, you read uh, either indictment, there's a clear outline that, uh, that lays out uh, the fabrications, the lies, um, the manipulation of donors and others that uh, he has uh, committed over the last year or or longer. Audio courtesy of Forbes, D'Esposito's resolution would need two-thirds of the House to expel the Long Island congressman. Meanwhile, Santos, who says he will not step down, responded on social media saying that he is entitled to due process and not a predetermined outcome as some are seeking. The NYPD is on high alert in case the suspected Maine mass shooter tries to enter the tri-state area. While there is no evidence that suspect Robert Card is coming to New York, it comes 
comes at a time when already counterterrorism officers are on the streets because of the crisis in the Middle East. NYPD Commissioner Rebecca Weiner. We don't see any nexus to New York City with this incident, uh, tragic as it was. But we've been saying this a lot over the last couple of weeks, and we, we always do. Uh, we urge all New Yorkers to continue to go about your business, uh, but to remain alert to your surroundings. Commissioner Weiner joined Mayor Eric Adams at a news conference to discuss safety in the city amid the active search for card. There will be more than 100 car-free streets to keep trick-or-treaters safe in New York City this Halloween. The Trick or Streets initiative is being expanded to give access to pedestrians for safe spaces across the five boroughs. The initiative that kicked off October 14th at 15 locations will be expanded starting tomorrow. Global News, 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg Nathan. Trick or Streets, that's a great idea. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Now, great news because we do bring you news throughout the day here on Bloomberg Radio. But now you can get the latest news on demand whenever you want it. Subscribe to Bloomberg News Now to get the latest headlines at the click of a button. Get informed on your schedule. Listen and subscribe to Bloomberg News Now on the Bloomberg Business app, Bloomberg.com, plus Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcast. Podcast. Time now for the Bloomberg Sports Update, brought to you by Tri-State Audi. Good morning, John Stashauer. Good morning, Eighth In this World Series with two unlikely teams begins tonight. Both Arizona and Texas lost over 100 games just two years ago. Both snuck into the postseason as a wild card, but are 9-3, although the Rangers are 1-3 at home, 8-0 on the road. In Arlington tonight, they start Nathan Avaldi, who's 4-0 in the postseason. The Diamondbacks start Zach Gallon. The Bills are 4-0 in Buffalo. They never trailed, beat the Bucks 24-18. Josh Allen threw for two touchdowns, ran for another. The Jets and Giants first played each other in 1970. Sunday's game, only the 15th regular season meeting ever. Giants lead the series 8-6. Jets have won the last two. Last Giants win was 2011. They won the Super Bowl that year. Here's Jets coach Rob Sala. I'm excited. You said it. It's once every four years. Uh, maybe there, there's crossover now at the 17th game, but uh, you know I think it's really cool for the fans. I think it's great for sports talk radio and all the all the different uh, 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 newspaper uh, outlets and all that. But uh, you know it's a it's a championship opportunity. You know a lot of respect for them. They've uh, they've got a tremendous history. Salas backup running back is veteran Dalvin Cook plays behind Brees Hall. Cook says he's frustrated being a backup. Might want to trade before next week's deadline. A five-game road trip for the Rangers. They've won the first three and have allowed only two goals. The shutout for Jonathan Quick in Edmonton. Rangers won 3-0. Islanders beat Ottawa 3-2. Damian Lillard's first game for the Bucks in Milwaukee. He poured in 39 points and a one-point win over the Sixers. The Lakers beat Phoenix. Knicks and Nets began with losses at home. They're on the road tonight. Knicks in Atlanta. Nets are in Dallas. They'll face the ex-Net Tyree Irving. John Stashdown, Bloomberg Sports, Nathan. All right, John, thanks. Bloomberg Sports is brought to you by Audi. Don't let someone else drive off in the Audi model you've always wanted. Visit your local tri-state Audi dealer to get behind the wheel of yours today or visit AudiOffers.com for more information. A debrief on the Israel-Hamas war next. We're going to check in with Bloomberg's Israel Bureau Chief Ethan Bronner in Tel Aviv. From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. The world is watching for the next phase in the Israel-Hamas war. 
Israel has carried out ground raids in Gaza for a second straight night, and now the U.S. is targeting or striking targets in Syria that it says have been used by Iran and its proxy groups. For the latest, we are joined by Bloomberg's Israel bureau chief, Ethan Bronner, in Tel Aviv. Ethan, good morning. What more can we t- say now about this latest military activity, not just by Israel, but now apparently the United States? Yes. Well, I mean, what we can say is that these are a small piece of evidence of the risk of a spreading conflict, of the fact that Iranian proxies around the region, not just Hamas and Gaza, uh, are at work, and that uh, a combined force of Israel and the United States seeking to sort of keep them in their place, as it were, as opposed to letting it get truly out of hand. The Americans have absolutely heightened their military profile in the region. The uh, Eisenhower is on the way to the Eastern Med. It should be here by Monday. Uh, There's a whole bunch of Patriot missiles, a whole bunch of uh, troops as well. Uh, And Israel is trying to decide what it's going to do in Gaza. I think it's become an increasingly anguished decision because of those 200 plus hostages, because of the concern that victory is hard to define. And because uh, even though people are humiliated and furious about what happened on October 7th, the question of how many uh, casualties Israel truly wants to take in this is far from clear. And to that point, Ethan, there has to be some thinking on the Israeli part about how to continue to keep allied support, given how fierce the response has been uh, on the Israeli side following that October 7th attack by Hamas. Look, I think that's true. Uh, I mean, absolutely. I wrote a story a couple of days ago about the sense that Israel has that it is increasingly alone in its view of uh, the legitimacy of what it's doing. It's not alone alone and that the United States has been uh, standing shoulder to shoulder with it. The Europeans have come through uh, and have said, we feel your pain. We understand. We agree. Hamas is a terrible organization, needs to be dismantled. But what does that really mean and at what cost? And what about these 7,000 dead people in Gaza? And I think even the United States feels that way. And even people in Israel, to some extent, are beginning to ask, what does it mean to do what is the right thing to do. And I don't think they've figured it out. Uh, There is a sense here that unless Hamas is ultimately dismantled, that that life here will not be tolerable, that people will not stay, people will not live along the border, and that is not something that's acceptable. But what does it mean and on on what time, in what time frame Israel needs to do this, I think is the key in addition to the concern that Hezbollah and other Iranian back groups could enter the fray. And at the same time, Ethan, we've heard from Israel that the strikes that have been carried out have continued to take out Hamas leadership. I think one of the latest reports was that a deputy uh, director of Hamas has been killed in one of the latest strikes. Is there a sense that taking out the leadership is achieving some of the objectives that Israel is setting out here? Well, I mean, I don't know that we're there yet. That's absolutely Israel's contention. And they've set up, in fact, within the security system, a, a kind of a squad 
that's going to take it upon itself over the next year or two or three to take guys out who've led Hamas, whether they're in Gaza or in Qatar or in Lebanon or, uh, or in Turkey. There's a kind of assassination squad that's been set up and they're also going after them inside. Does it make a difference? It must make a difference. But, you know, <laughs> they're spread around. There are a lot of them and it's very hard to know. The impression one gets at the moment is that it's sort of middle management that they've been able to get, not the top guys. So I don't know how big a difference it's making. Appreciate you coming back on with us, Ethan, and keeping us up to speed on all the developments that have been happening in the Israel-Hamas war now uh, with these uh, U.S. strikes uh, into Syria as well. Ethan Bronner, our Israel Bureau Chief for Bloomberg News, uh, joining us this morning from Tel Aviv. And now we want to turn to a conversation with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. She joined Bloomberg Washington Bureau Chief Peggy Collins for a wide-ranging conversation after we saw third-quarter GDP in the U.S. grow at its fastest pace in nearly two years. Secretary Yellen talked about that blowout economic figure as well as rising bond yields and geopolitical risks. Let's go to part of that discussion now. It's a good, strong number, and it shows an economy that's doing very well. Let's remember it is just one quarter's number, and I'm not expecting a growth at that pace to continue. But we do have good, solid growth. Um, you know, probably the year will come in close to two and a half. I w- wouldn't be surprised if we see that. We have solid job creation, a low unemployment rate, um, increased engagement in the labor force. Um, inflation's coming down, and you don't really see um, any sign of recession here. I, I have to say, I've been saying for a long time that I believed there was a path to bring inflation down in the context of a strong labor market. Frankly, it's only, it's about a year ago since I believe a Bloomberg model predicted that by October of 2023, now namely, that you saw the odds of recession at 100%. I don't think we have that. You know, what we have looks like a soft landing with very good outcomes for the U.S. economy. So I think there's a lot to be uh, pleased about. And you, you see good, strong consumer spending. Consumers still have substantial wealth. I think it's supporting good, strong spending, and the economy is doing well. And I think U.S. growth is making a contribution to stronger global outcomes as well. So I want to ask you a little bit about the rise in yields that we've seen. We've seen yields surging over the last few weeks. The 10-year Treasury rose above 5% earlier this week. What's your view on what is driving that surge in yields and how much of it is connected to investors' concerns about the U.S. deficit? Well, I don't think much of it is um, connected to that. This is a global phenomenon in advanced countries. We're seeing yields go up um, in most advanced countries of the world. Largely, I think it's a reflection of the resilience that people are seeing in the U.S. economy that um, we're not having a recession, that consumer spending and demand continue to be strong. The economy um, is continuing, continuing to show tremendous robustness. And 
that suggests that interest rates are likely to stay higher for longer. And so part of the increase in yields, uh, I think, is simply a reflection of the strength of the economy, the notion that interest rates will be higher for longer. Now, whether or not that's really true, if we look at five or 10 years, what are interest rates likely to do? Honestly, for a very long time, we have felt that um, interest rates over decades had been coming down, real interest rates, and that there were deep structural reasons for that in part relating to demographics. And those underlying trends, they're still there. They're still in force. So. Um, I think it's perfectly possible that we will see longer-term yields come down, but nobody really knows for sure. But I, I see the higher yields as certainly, importantly, a reflection of a stronger economy. I know you um, took a trip to China in Be to Beijing this summer. You've been talking about how our policy should really be around de-risking or diversifying rather than decoupling. But what do you think is the current status of that? Do you think the Chinese um, have adopted that and feel like they can trust us on that front? Or do you think they still really think that we're in a, in a competition with them, first and foremost? So, I mean, we've articulated a strategy. As you said, it involves de-risking in some areas where we're overly dependent on China. And clean energy is a, a good example. Um, we also intend to focus on national security. That's an area that we're not willing to compromise on. And so we, have, we do have export controls. We continue to review them. We have, we're working on a set of restrictions on outbound investment to China. We've discussed this with them and put out a proposal that's um, in the public domain. I think comments just closed on it. But our objective there is to target what we do as narrowly as possible so that it really focuses on national security, that it is not an intent intention in that to harm the prospects of Chinese economic development and the welfare of the Chinese people. With the Israel-Hamas war happening in the Middle East, I think there's a concern by some that the war could spread or expand to broader in the region. I know that that's not your base case, but if that was to happen, could you walk us through your risk scenario for what that might mean to the global economy? My focus as I look now at what's happening to the Middle East really is the tragedy, the human tragedy that's taking place, what the Israelis have suffered. And of course, we're worried about um, casualties in Gaza as Israel um, you know, pursues its war against Hamas. So far, I would say we've not yet seen much that has global consequences. What could happen if the war expands? Of course, there could be more meaningful consequences, but I think it's premature to speculate against about those. And I think our focus should be keeping this contained and not spreading. 
And that was the Secretary of the Department of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, speaking with Bloomberg's Peggy Collins from our Washington newsroom. You can hear that entire conversation on the Bloomberg Talks podcast. Download the show and all of our high-profile discussions wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, Amy, more proof that the Taylor Swift era is alive and well. Taylor Swift's Eras Tour has generated as much money as the economies of small countries. The movie version is ruling the box office. Her new recording of a nine-year-old album, 1989, just dropped at midnight tonight and is expected to be one of the hottest-selling records of the year. Now, Taylor Swift's net worth has catapulted her past the billion-dollar mark. The calculation by Bloomberg News takes into account the following. The estimated value of Taylor Swift's music catalog in her five homes, as well as earnings from streaming deals, music sales, concert tickets, and merchandise. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed by 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Amy Morris. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.